Today on The Byword, we are featuring Mark Bernal, creator and founder of Lesser Known Comics, and Ray Garza, uh, the creator and illustrator of Tank McGregor. Let's talk Lesser Known Comics. Ladies and gentle people, welcome to another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. I'm Dave, and I'm here with my buddy Chris, and together we are going to take a deep dive into the nerd world today. For today's big talk, we will have two special guests, Mark Bernal, the founder of Lesser Known Comics and writer of Death Wish, as well as Ray Garza, the writer and illustrator of Tank McGregor. But before we sit down with these two final gentlemen, it is time for... Nerd News! All right, Chris, what's happening in the nerd world? The final casting announcements for the all-important trio in the upcoming Percy Jackson Disney Plus series were made last week with Leah Jeffries as Annabeth Chase and Ariane Simhadri as Grover Underwood joining Walker Scobell's Percy. Unfortunately, Jeffries, a young black girl, was a target of online harassment by individuals claiming to be fans of the book series due to her being cast in the role. As a result of the harassment, Jeffries has been banned from TikTok. In a video addressing the situation, 12-year-old Jeffries said, quote, Stop doing that. I know you think that it's going to hurt me, though. It's not. You're wasting time. I'm still confident in myself, end quote. Thankfully, Uncle Rick, as author Rick Riordan of the book series is affectionately known in the fandom, has her back. In a recent blog post, he said, quote, You are upset slash disappointed slash frustrated slash angry because a black actor has been cast to play a character who was described as white in the books. Judging her appropriateness for this role solely and exclusively on how she looks is racism. If you're still upset about the casting of this marvelous trio, then it doesn't matter how many times you have read the books, you didn't learn anything from them, end quote. In addition, actress Alexandra Daddario, who portrayed Annabeth in the previous film franchise, tweeted her support saying, quote, Leah Jeffries is going to be an incredible Annabeth, end quote. I'll just say this, Dave. It's bad enough to be a toxic, toxic, racist, xenophobic a-hole online. It's completely in another stratosphere of awfulness to do that to a child. I'm thankful that Riordan rightfully came out as strong as he did. It was refreshing in a day and age where a lot of celebrities give half-hearted responses to things like this. I'm going to be completely honest with you. At this point, I'm just sick and tired of this kind of crap. It seems like every other day some actor or actress gets cast in a role and right away the toxicity starts flying online. And you know, I don't think necessarily that everybody needs a bullhorn to shout their their racism into the into the stratosphere here. It's just getting very tiresome. And I see, you know, the benefits of social media and the benefits of having, you know, you know, free speech and open discussion and all that, but it is very very tiresome how toxic fandoms have gotten over the years and how the worst members of any given fandom always seem to grab the most attention. I'm sure there are many fans of the Percy Jackson books who are perfectly fine with this casting and are looking forward to the series, 
or maybe are completely ambivalent about an adaptation and are just going to stick to the books. Um, I'm just tired of toxicity. It's exhausting uh, out there just, just to deal with the constant barrage of toxicity. I'm just, I'm tired, Chris. I'm exhausted, which uh, leads us to your news story, which uh, is there. It's there. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's not uh, anything new to hear how big of a fan of Miss Marvel uh, I am. Uh, and that I have, you know, certain trepidations about the upcoming uh, Disney Plus adaptation because um, they changed Miss Marvel's powers. And nevertheless, I'm still going to be checking out the show and hoping that it captures uh, what makes uh, Kamala Khan such a wonderful uh, character. And we're getting at least some kind of reassurance uh, about that from uh, Miss Marvel's co-creator, Sana Amanat, who uh, in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly uh, had a little bit something to say about the adaptation. And I quote here, the comic was very much a guiding light for us. We needed to make sure that it worked in the MCU, of course, but we wanted to make sure that we had the quirkiness and the stylistic distinction that the comics did so well. We wanted to find our own MCU version of it. So we're doing things in this show that we don't really do anywhere else in the MCU. It's kind of told through the lens of Kamala's experience and her wild imagination. I think the brightness and the colors and where we go in the Marvel Universe and Kamala's universe is really what makes it stand out tonally and stylistically from everything else. And I think it needs to. So that is uh, incredibly reassuring because more so than the powers, I think, what draws us to the character ultimately is, well, her character. Um now, Amanat also addressed the uh, changes made to uh, Miss Marvel's powers. Um, and I quote here again, obviously so much of the show is an adaptation, and we thought it was important to make sure that her powers are linking to a larger story in the Marvel Universe. We wanted to make sure that there is a little bit more story to tell after the series. Obviously, she goes into the Marvels. The powers do look different. I know people are upset about it, but as someone who's probably one of the closest people to this character from the inception and having spoken to Willow about this as well, I think Willow and I have always felt that this made sense. This was the right move because there are bigger stories to tell. Now, obviously, it's going to be difficult to um, make any kind of judgment on this until we actually see the series and how it all executes in the long run. Um, it is a little disappointing. Um because there is a sense, I think, that Pretty Sparkly Powers was kind of the exact opposite of what the inception of this character was. Um, but he, here we are anyway. So that is certainly disappointing. But I do really hope that the series, you know, captures the character of Miss Marvel and, and does the comic books justice in that respect. Your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I think I've just reached the point that I don't know if it's ambivalence or, or what. I think a lot of this, these preconceived notions about what this series is going to be are premature. Is it disappointing? Is it disheartening that the powers are changed? Perhaps. I don't really have one opinion one way or another. I do know that this is not the first time that a comic book character has had their powers changed or tweaked or modified for an on-screen adaptation. This is not resetting the wheel. 
I understand, um, you know, that we've revisited this topic several times on the show and, um, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot to say about it, but I think that, um, a lot of the backlash against this are folks that are probably too close to it and are reacting overly emotional about it, um, before the first episode has even premiered. And to prejudge this and like the influence of what the character of Kamala Khan is, is, is like I said, it's premature. So like, let's at least let the show run its course and then we can assess it. Um, I also think that we're, we're holding so many of these shows and these on-screen adaptations to too high of a standard. Um, I tweeted out the other day that like, if, if you're so upset about the on-screen adaptation, like go read the source material. Like how many times says like we said the proverbial adage of like the book is better. Like this is not new. So if you're upset about this change, if you are really worried about it, just go read more comics. Like that's, Oh, it's an absolute win, you know? So, um, you know, and I say this as someone, as an X-Men fan, who saw, like, the absolute worst on-screen adaptations. Like, I understand. Yep. Like, I know that we have our druthers and our opinions about, like, some of the DC films. But yep. they have nothing, and nothing, in terms of the awfulness that was the X-Men film franchise. The entire franchise. I'll take X2 and leave the rest of it. I'll take X2 and leave the rest of it. It was that awful. So I have seen bad on-screen adaptations, honey. It's going to be okay, I promise. So let's wait and see what happens with this. Take a deep breath. We love Kamala. I, I, I am hopeful. I'm not an MCU shill. I'm not a Marvel Studios employee. I'm not a company man. I love the majority of what the MCU has put out. I have criticisms of some of those projects falcon and the winter soldier was a disappointment to me i thought it had a real instance to say something strong and important and it kind of crapped the bed especially in that last act that being said i'm excited for ms marvel i thought moon knight was great a lot of people were overly criticizing that because it wasn't close enough to the source material so you know what i did i went and read some moon knight comics and i loved them both you both things can be true. So I'm excited for Ms. Marvel, despite all of this. I just hope that ultimately there's not some kind of reciprocity here and these powers start sinking into the comic books that like part. you know or that like organic like organic web shooters. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, the I, wrist I don't the that. wrist zits, we don't need those. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, leave, leave Miss Marvel's stretchy powers alone in the comics at least. Um, and, and let's just, you know, take our time and see how this show turns out ultimately. All right, folks. Well, that is it for Nerd News. Stick around because after this break, we are going to be talking to some lesser known comics creators. Stick around. <laughs> And we're back, ladies and gentle nerds, and it is time for this week's And for this week's Big Talk, we have two very special guests with us. We have uh, Mark Bernal, who is the founder of Lesser Known Comics and creator 
of Death Wish. And along with him, we also have Ray Garza, writer-illustrator of Tank McGregor. Uh, Ray, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hello. Thanks so much for having us. So uh, with um, these sorts of interviews, the very first thing we like to do is ask our guests about their nerd origin story. So basically, what were your first experiences with nerd media, comic books and the like? And how did you get started in the business of making comics? And um, Mark, if you'd like to go first. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, You know, I I grew up big on like the... uh, X-Men cartoons and the Spider-Man cartoons. Um, I was also like, I played soccer growing up and like it really like those Saturday morning cartoons, like soccer really cut into like that, that's that, that critical time zone for, for or critical time slot for Saturday morning cartoons. I was always like bummed. You have to like claw me away from the television. And um, I, you know, I didn't have a ton of money for comics growing up, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, not, not, not a lot of, um, money only what you can do is, you know, uh, beg your parents for. And then it wasn't until like much older that I kind of just had like this epiphany, you know, mostly during uh, quarantine where it's like, Oh, I can afford comic books now that I'm like an adult. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've said it's like, discovering thousands of hours of deleted scenes of like your favorite movie, you know, when uh, all of a sudden, like, you're like, Oh my gosh, there's so much more to all these stories than, than I ever realized. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, what kind of helped me reclaim my childhood, you know, and, and, and really get back into all these things that I love. And then, um, you know, uh, who knew now that uh, we'd, we'd be making our own. Yeah, uh, for me, it was, uh, I mean, I, I think uh, my nerd origin was since I was born. I mean, I've been around it all my life. Uh, when I was uh, younger, I'm talking about like before I was even 10, my parents owned a video store, a video rental store oh, uh, in, in Mexico. No, those so, are great. Yeah, that was insanely good uh, for me. Like I just had access to everything. And my parents um, really had no uh, restrictions for me really and what I watched I mean they did kind of like they, I, I, for some reason I wasn't allowed to watch Beavis and Butthead but like <laughs> they would let me watch they would let me Ooh. watch something called I know right but they would let me watch something called like like Terror in Space or something like that like some yeah. like old B movie with like a, a skull in the front and like Evil Dead and things like that um, so I always just was around all that stuff and um, unlimited access to movies so my nerd origin started with a uh, film and filmmaking and I was really into that. And I even uh, studied uh, filmmaking. Uh, I went to film school at UT in Austin and I did that for a while. I did a couple of short films. I did a feature film. I worked in a few productions and after a while it would just would get harder and harder to um, get people excited and passionate to help me work on my projects and, you know, diminishing funds. And it was just always a huge uh, endeavor to get a project off the ground. So then I started thinking, well, I got to be really passionate about the project if I'm going to be spend a year, year and a half on it. And there just wasn't anything that I would like, all right, I want to dedicate a whole year to this. It just wasn't happening. So I stopped making films for a while, but that creative edge, that creative output, I needed to find it somewhere. So that's when I started uh, going back to what I used to do when I was younger, which is like draw a lot. And I started drawing and making comics and comics really allowed me that avenue of telling stories and getting all my 
uh, creative juices flowing that way and just tell those stories through sequential art. Okay, so another question for each of you on that origin front, uh, who would uh, you guys list as your greatest influences as creators? I don't know if I had one, um, like, you know, growing up, cause like I was, I was so captivated by everything Marvel um, and X-Men has like always been my jam. But um, I picked up uh, Ed Piscor, he did uh, X-Men Grand Design and um it was such like an encap like beautiful like i mean he self-describes it as like a love letter to you know the the x-men universe and um when i saw that i was just like i you know just my mind was blown um by how he like laid out that universe and i was just like really really motivated at that point to like create you know my own universe um and um so, you know, I started lesser known comics. Um, we're kind of a hybrid of having our own universe that uh, we invite, you know, writers and illustrators to work on. And it's like, you know, I try and keep it as like a sandbox for people to play in, you know, um, but then we have, you know, um, uh, you know, we were lucky, you know, that, that our, our artists have been, you know, so tremendously talented that they drew in other people like, um, uh, Ray. So, you know, we started doing the creator own stuff. Um, but it was, um, it was really seeing that comic, you know, that was very recent where it was just like really, really formative of being like, man, like I, this is what I want to do. You know, this, 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 this is something that, um, just gave me so much more energy than, than I, I had experienced in a long time. Um, my, uh, inspirations, well, I guess they differed because, like I mentioned, I was in film first. So, like for like movies and stuff, it was always like Stanley Kubrick and uh, Denis Villeneuve and all those, um, the classics. But uh, in terms of uh, art and comic books, um, I was hugely inspired by Mike Mignola. In fact, Mike Mignola was the like the Hellboy series in particular was the series that I read that made me go, I want to make a graphic novel. Like I want to make this. I want to do something like this. Um, so, in terms of the art, it was Mike Mignola. Uh, and Mobius, I love Mobius, and Mobius has a lot of great uh, comic books. Oh, that yeah. I haven't even read a lot of them, but then there's a lot of stuff that pops up on my Tumblr and stuff like that, where it's just like long uh, uh, stories with no dialogue, where it's just his drawings and his beautiful vistas uh, and these like alien worlds, and he just has such detail, and it's like, man, like I, I, I wish I could do that. I wish that was like born naturally out of my own brain. Um, and story-wise, oddly enough, is uh, I, I'm guided a lot by or inspired a lot by uh, uh, the works of uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky um, who did the Meta Barons in the comic book world and he had that like failed Dune movie. Um, I just love that guy's like work ethic and I love hearing him talk about his process and I just love the way his mind works and that translates to his stories and I, I find a lot of inspiration from him when I'm trying to come up with like scenarios and stuff like that. Okay, Dave, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tap in here. Uh, we very rarely get fellow mutants on the show. So Mark, who are your, who are your faves? <laughs> you know, I saw this, I, uh, I, I, um, I always loved how apocalypse, you know, would, you know, I'm, I'm as far beyond mutant as they are beyond you, you know? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, apocalypse has always been my, you know, uh, yes. 
favorite. Anything that has apocalypse in it, I, I'm just like, oh, sign me up for it ten times over. And the glow up in X of Swords and everything. Oh my god. I think um, it, you know, I think the the, the strength of X Men has always been um, people tend to like the villains even more than the than the hero. <laughs> so um, so Mark, um, lesser known comics is a very recent endeavor. What prompted you to go on this journey of you know, creating this this small press publisher? Uh, you know, it it started as um, you know, you know, like like many people, right? With quarantine, you know, you're you're stuck in your home and and you're reevaluating all your life decisions. Um, and I've always been into creative writing. Um, I used to um, you know be active in the music scene and and and. Uh, and uh, playing bands and stuff like that. Um, but something that, you know, I could do from my home, I was like, oh, you know, like maybe I'll make a comic book. Um, and I started working with uh, a few different artists um, uh, to, and I was gonna pick, right? Like I was, I was gonna work with a couple of them and see which one I liked the concept art the most and then start working on uh, just one storyline. And I just fell in love with, all three of the first artists I was working with. And so it was like, well, how can I work with all of them? So let's, let's maybe do some overlapping stories, you know, that tie in together. And, um, then next thing, you know, um, uh, Kieran who did the death wish comic, you know, he approached me with another writer. Um, they had their own story and they were like, Hey, you know, maybe we can publish our book through you. And like, gosh, you know, that, that's not, you know, that sounds great. Um, and then, um, you know, in addition to that, uh, Charlie Ragnarok, she had worked on a book with me um, where she was illustrating and I was writing. And then I saw something she made completely on her own. And I was like, your writing is like way better than mine. Like you should be illustrating your own stuff, you know. Um, and then next thing I knew, I think it was less than six months later, you know, we had had a, this big team, you know, of, of, you know, eight or nine people. Um and uh it kind of really like it like reminds me of that scene from like dumb and dumber where they're like picking up all those hitchhikers and like pick them up pick them up you know know, so i think i think we grew a little too fast you know and a lot you know i don't think i was ready for a lot of it um so you know um we're definitely learning um but i've been lucky to have uh, a, a lot of amazing mentors um you know, both um, uh, both from a publishing perspective, and then also just um, you know certain creators who know the Kickstarter scene and know a lot of other things, you know, about social media. Um, and we've just been super blessed about how welcoming and collaborative the indie comic community is. It's 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 the I, I can't think of a better um, you know craft to be a part of. You know, that's like um where everyone feels like you know they're in it together so do you guys get together and jam to mockingbird as well (laughs) (laughs) we uh we are half startup company half support community half hippie commune i know those the fractions don't add up (laughs) you meet a lot on google meets and talk about our feelings and then we sing mockingbird yeah (laughs) um 
So your website and promo materials reference, and you, and you did previously, uh, lesser known universe. How wide scale of a connected universe are we talking about here? Um, I think we have, uh, so we, we've released, um, like, the, so we started with shorts um, where they were, you know, between five, you know, six, seven pages, and now they're getting up to 16, 22 and beyond. Um, and there is 13 of them. Only seven have been released um, of these, you know, lesser known comics, number one, two, three. And, and basically those are all just like, almost like sneak previews into all those characters that are featured in them will have their own titular series and things like that. And we're, uh, we have four of those in the works, um, but they all center around um, this character. Her name's Danny. She's, you know, this um, um, punk rock kind of, you know, uh, uh, witch, you know, Bruja. Um, she's like uh, from, she was like born in the 1850s. She stumbles across, you know, witchcraft and, um, Kind of inspired by Wolverine, you know how like Wolverine's lived a thousand life, you know lives, um, but Wolverine was always like the best at what he does, right? And I was like, well, we have a character that's been around forever, but not necessarily like the best at what she does. Like maybe she, you know, doesn't read all the fine print of like her witchcraft and yeah, you know, or her spells and whatnot. And um, so of course you know you got to partner up with like a hapless sidekick and you know he's just like how come everywhere we go we're getting chased by monsters and villains and all sorts of things that are all just consequences of your decades of you know his poor decision making um and you know so all the series kind of spin off of that um uh uh you know her journeys and stuff like that so um you all currently have a project uh, that is running on uh, kickstarter uh, tell us what all is included in batch number four. Well, I'll I'll mention um, you know we have a uh, Tank McGregor uh, that graphic novel is is kind of like our headliner because um, obviously it, it you know it's a, it's a it's an awesome book and you know it's a full graphic novel and then um, we have the two uh, newest of those less um, one of them's from Lesser Known Universe and then one of them uh, that's the Death Wish one it's that same character Danny who's um, uh, she's racing demolition type derby cars. It's like Mad Max meets Road Warrior. And then Good Night was just a passion project of one of our artists who was working on one of my stories and just said, hey, can I do something that's kind of weird, kind of scary, and kind of, you know, art focused? Um, and that's Good Night, um, which um, um, just couldn't, couldn't be any happier with how that came out. Um, but I was so stoked to put Tank McGregor on like top billing on that because um, I was just blown away with it when um, when Ray first uh, introduced it and I'll you know I'll let him talk about that book because um, uh, it's it's really special. So in addition to the comics themselves, are there any uh, additional rewards or incentives that backers can look forward to? Oh, we typically load them up with you know like bookmarks and art prints and things like that um, and. Um, you know, right now, I think, um, uh, you know, the big thing for us as a new company is to make sure that we do the basics correctly. You know, so um, most of the things that we do are all, um, um, if, it, if, it's, if it's done on paper, right, trading cards, postcards, art prints, you know, things like that. Um, 
we feel confident that we won't mess that up. <laughs> uh, and eventually, you know, we'll get to, um, you know, shirts and, and enamel pins and things like that, you know, as we, um, as we kind of, you know, grow in our capacity. And we're, we're going to have to talk about Tank McGregor. Uh, Chris and I were talking before we started recording about how it has these vibes, like it's the love child of Han Solo and Bob Boba Fett, but it's set mm-hmm. in the Futurama universe or something. Um, <laughs> Is that intentional or is that like a happy accident, Ray? Uh, the Futurama was somewhat intentional. It just happened to be like I'm drawing and halfway through the book, I noticed that a lot of my cars looked like a lot of Futurama cars. And I just kind of like leaned into that. I mean, obviously, Futurama is a huge in my in my world. I love it. I love everything by Matt Groening. Um, the Han Solo and Boba Fett thing, I never gotten that one before. No one's ever told me they made that comparison. So that I guess just the fact that he's like a bounty hunter. And just a regular uh, all-around badass, you know, uh, is what uh, <laughs> is what leads you to think that. But uh, yeah, that was a happy accident. So you both wrote and illustrated the book. How do you go about performing that balancing act? There, what's the order of operations? Um, it's a jumbled mess. Like if you can imagine, like a ball, like a rubber band ball just slowly unraveling and like the mess that that would make, that's what it was like. I mean, like I went, I went into the endeavor uh, uh, without really even planning on finishing it, to be honest. Like I was just doing it almost as a hobby to begin with. It wasn't until I was like more than halfway through that I realized I actually had something uh, on my hands here. And then I, I would go back and reiterate, reiterate, and just kind of like polish. And before I knew it, I had a whole book. But um, yeah, the book itself was written as a 15-page script at first to just kind of stretch my creative juices um it wasn't even like written like a comic book it was just 15 pages of dialogue and most of the dialogue that you read in the in the book is just straight up from that first 15 pages like that whole beginning monologue was just exactly how i started writing i just started writing that um and then i would just have the pages next to me and read them and then whatever i imagined i would just put down on paper again i had never done a comic book before uh, much less a full-on graphic novel so i didn't really know if i was doing something wrong i was just doing it the way it made sense to me um and then i would just draw and i would keep drawing until uh, the page looked fine to me and then i'd go on to the next page you know and before i knew it i had a whole book so intergalactic space cowboy tracking down a rogue homicidal pleasure robot is a pretty mm-hmm. distinct thing. What are, What's the inspiration for a story like that? I wanted to draw a sexy robot. <laughs> <laughs> As one does. <laughs> As one does. I wanted to draw a sexy robot, and then I realized I couldn't draw faces very well, so then I gave her that sort of like Bomberman, like weird-looking face, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> quirky and fun. Um, but yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it is kind of embarrassing, but it really is like, you know, those little, uh, action figures you get to like learn how to draw poses and stuff. She's basically that. And then I just kind of give her like a metal skin, you know, like, uh, I wanted to just draw her in different poses and I'm like, Oh, she's kind of hot. And then I just included her in the story, you know, and then, um, her arc and her whole plot line just was born out of that. Um, at one point I wanted to draw a sexy hologram and just change her outfits to like different sexy outfits. So I did that. You know, I introduced a hologram character who's like glitching out. So like every five minutes, she's like glitching out into a different like visual form. Um, and then that grew into, well, why do they all have to be sexy? Maybe someone ridiculous. So she's like a bodybuilder in one of them. And 
you know, things like that. It just kind of like it, it again, like there wasn't a major uh, overall plan. It was very much like things that are kind of occur to me. But the difference is that once they occur to me, obviously drawing takes a t- some time. So it, once they occur to me, it would take like two weeks to complete that scene. So I better have been happy with what occurred to me in that moment, you know, which is why the book kind of reads like it's very wacky, you know. I uh, I would love to uh, go back one moment to um, Good Night uh, by Franco Luna, which is uh, is such a cool little story um, and, and very distinctive. Uh, in how well it works as a completely silent issue. Uh, very curious about what the thought process was um, behind going that route uh, for Franco and also the thought process, including it in this particular collection. Uh, very very eclectic, I guess is what I'm trying to say when you uh, compare that to something like Tank McGregor. It's it, very two very distinctive approaches to comic books. Yeah, um, so Franco um, was... He was one of those initial three artists that I worked with, and um, I found that he was actually, you know, the stuff he does that he illustrates that I write is all, um, like, a lot of action and, like, blood and guts. And, like, right now he's working on a, it's It's, like, samurais versus witches in 1980s Japan. Um, so he came to me saying, like, hey, I want to do something it's going to be kind of weird. It's not going to have any words, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, you know, and, and, um, but I, I just knew he was such, you know, a, a confident, uh, visual storyteller, you know, I was like, Hey, Franco, if you think it's cool, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to love it. Um, and I was, I was so blown away and, um, you know, I think it gave him a little bit of a chance to, you know, kind of showcase, showcase his skills, um, he's a really strong inker, and um, in addition to that, um, it it <laughs> it became like the running joke. Like once we got to, um, we all read it. We were like, we we're like, oh, thanks, Franco, for giving us all nightmares. You know, like, um, uh, you know, we we have like internal memes we use. You know, from like uh, that book. You know, of, of anytime we want to creep somebody out. <laughs> I I will say that that last page will grab you. <laughs> Mark, so you wrote Death Wish for this collection along, uh, alongside Kieran Quinn's illustrations. What was that collaborative process like between the two of you? On that one, uh, so Kieran does illustration um, for uh, another publisher as well, and um, he's he's pretty crunched on time. He um, also like hates being around phones and like you know. Um, and he likes to be just like kind of locked in his face and work. So we really like leaned into the Marvel method on that one. You know, we talked about the initial idea of like, you know, race cars and, and kind of wacky stuff. Um, what he had been working on before was very like uh, serious, noir, um, you know, uh, gritty mean streets of New York type of thing. But then, you know, I had seen some of his other sketches that he like posted on Instagram. He had wacky stuff like a mummy wearing, you know, boxer shorts and, you know, this like army guy with like a turtle for a helmet and things like that. And I was just like, let's just lean into that man and like just do something zany. So I kind of, you know, described the main characters and kind of the overarching, you know, um, uh, way I want the story to go. But introducing like all the other drivers and you know 
how things will explode and the type of weapons and the type of um, booby traps and stuff like that will be on the race. Um, that's entirely on him because, you know, as a writer, I found that um, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to explain um, action scenes to an illustrator or explain like how an explosion or how something that's supposed to be visually striking is going to be, you know, that's their, that's their bread and butter as a visual storyteller. Um, so I found it really liber like liberating to just, you know, let him go take that and push the envelope as much as, you know, he, he felt he wanted to do. Um, so it, it, it's been a really fun process because then I also get to experience like it as the reader where like, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen on the you know next page. So when I get those initial like inks back and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, I, it uh, gives me that same, you know, experience of like, you know, reading it for the first time. And, you know, in a way, uh, just reading over Death Wish, it's almost cruel in the way that it pumps you up only to leave you really begging for more. So when can fans expect a follow-up to the story? So number two is a full-length issue, um, 22 pages. Or it, might, it might be a little bit more. And um, it's, um, it's completely penciled. It might be partially inked. I have to check in with him. Um, but we hope to get it out um, certainly before the end of the year. Um, so it's just a matter of, um, we, you know, good problem to have. We have a ton of books in the queue. So it's just a matter of like getting it scheduled in, but I would, I would certainly expect it to be, you know, by September or October. So indie comics is not unlike the wild west or perhaps more aptly the wilds of space, like Tank McGregor has to face. Um, what advice would you both give to aspiring creators looking to break into the industry? I guess for me, I mean, I'm not even sure I have broken into the industry, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and from the creative side, I would say uh, don't get bogged down by the uh, what you believe the rules and formulas are to create a comic. Again, I didn't know if I had known like the proper way to format a script for a comic book, I wouldn't have finished it. You know, I, I had to do it the way I knew how to do stories and um if you think that like, oh, I can't make comics because my stuff doesn't look like Todd McFarlane, you know, like there's a place for Todd McFarlane and there's a place for whatever your style is. So just be confident in your own style, which is something that I had to also contend with my own insecurities of um, why would people even want to see my art, you know, um, but a lot of people seem to be uh, responding to it quite positively. So it'd be that just be confident in your own work. Everybody on the team to a certain degree you know, has like this, like imposter syndrome. And um, one of the funny things that happens is there's no, there's no like one like star of the team or something like that, right? Where everyone's just like, um, where someone's like, yep, I'm clearly like the best one. Like everyone like, you know, has like such um, uh, like admiration for the work that everyone's doing. And it's all, you know, it's all very different. Um, and I, I think, there's a lot of people out there, right. That, that are, that are sitting on something really special. And, um, it's just a matter of, you know, sharing it as, as much as possible and, and being as collaborative as possible. Um, indie comic scene is like something you gotta, you, you gotta dive into and, um, you know, just get out there and talk to other creators and, and, um, cause it's not just, um, it's not just being confident, you know, in your storytelling and, 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 
art skills and stuff like that. But it's also like surrounding yourself with people who are going to give you the energy on those low days where you like wake up and you're like, why am I doing this? Everything I make sucks and nobody cares and this, that, and the other thing. Um, and if you surround yourself with the right people, right, they, you know, um, they'll check in with you, you know, they'll be like, you know, Hey, I haven't seen you post anything in a while. Like, you know, hope, hope everything's going good. Can't wait to see what else you're working on. And, um, I think that makes, you know, all the difference. Um, you know, I always think of that, uh, it's, I, I think it's like a, um, Confucius or some sort of Zen quote where it's, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you go as long as you keep going. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, I think that's exactly how like, you know, Tank McGregor worked out, you know, um, he just chugged along and then you just woke up one day and he, you know, had a book. Um, yeah. it's amazing. So are there any future projects that you can uh, tease to our audience? Oh, where, where, where can I start? I know, uh, Tank McGregor and the cosmic Colossus is, uh, already, you know, um, yeah. well on its way. Um, in, um, uh, Every single, so in addition to the books that are on there for uh, batch four, there's, I want to say 11 other books that, um, you know, make up the rest of the lesser known comics catalog. I think every single one of them has a follow-up. Um, Good Night, I think, is the, actually the only like one shot um, of that, but that artist, Franco Luna, um, has two books. One that's completely finished and is in like pre-pub, And then um, another one that's um, already inked and is in the process of being colored. Um, but I think we have, we've really tried to make a diverse catalog coming out. So we have everything from manga to, um, you know, blood and guts action to um, so, some horror, some suspense and things like that. Um, so definitely, you know, the best way to go is... Um, Uh, all our artists are tagged in the posts, you know, that show up on Instagram and, um, you know, we have a, we don't have any spoiler clauses and stuff like that. So they're always posting what they're working on, um, you know, on their Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever their, um, their social media platform is. All right. So where can we go to support you guys and your work? Uh, well, first off right now, I think is you know, the Kickstarter project. Um, so, you know, uh, batch four, um, you know, is, is our, is our current batch. We got, uh, batch five and, and six, we already have the books, um, uh, planned for this. So, um, Instagram, I think is probably our strongest platform to keep updated. Um, but lessernowncomics.com, uh, we do have an online store there as well. Um, and then, um, you know, we always encourage people, you know, to like, you know, not be a stranger, um, you know, reach out to, you know, our artists and, you know, give them a follow or, you know, if you're a uh, creator yourself, you know, definitely, you know, come, come, you know, talk shop with us like anytime, you know, we're very, we're a very approachable group. Dave, you have to be glowing with envy right now at how organized this is. Yeah, it's a thing of beauty. Um, I, I, I have, I have real, like, uh, some, some real issues just with people being unorganized and I'm very, very everything in its place. And your organization sets my heart aglow. He's a type one. <laughs> They bought I'm, it. Mark. I'm a type zero. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird. because like, I've been told this by, you know, the, the, you know, what, what goes out there a lot of time is like the finished project, you know, and, and, you know, we do try and be as transparent as possible. It always seems like it's a lot more organized and stuff, but as <laughs> we're a new company, so like people ask questions all the time. We're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And, you know, we learn hard lessons just like everybody else where, 
we printed a bunch of comics without having the website anywhere on the comic. And we're just like, oh, you know, so uh, we, we really appreciate, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that, that, that I guess that we're, we're, we're making a good impression. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for your time and best of luck, all future success on this Kickstarter and every project in the future. And thanks for taking the time with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, and a big thank you to Mark Bernal and Ray Garza. Uh, right now on Kickstarter, you can find batch number four, which includes Tank McGregor uh, and several really cool other projects, uh, including Death Wish and Franco Luna's excellent silent story, Good Night. When we come back from this, our final break, it's time for some nerd commendations. You won't want to miss these. And we're back. It's time for... And Chris, I'm so excited to talk about your nerd commendation this week. Bring it on. All right. So I teased it a couple weeks ago. I teased it again in our news segment um, earlier today. But based on how much I thoroughly enjoyed the Mood Knight uh, MCU Disney Plus series, I dove right in on my friend Darwin's nerd commendation uh, and read the 2014 Moon Knight series, um, which was originally started off the first issue, uh, six issues with uh, words by Warren Ellis and impeccable, incredible, indefatigable art by Declan Shalvey. Just absolutely stunning. Um, I know that we have our issues with Warren Ellis's character, um, but it's totally okay because Declan Shalvey's art does a majority of the storytelling here. It is street level. It is gruesome. It is like Netflix Daredevil, like bashing the bad guys. Like, think, Dave, that hallway scene, that's this comic book series. The entire comic book Holy series. smokes. And it's like got those like supernatural. I'm so glad that Nerd Nightmare was a thing. And I'm so glad you called me on my chicken behavior because now I can appreciate things like this where he's like a supernatural detective noir like crime fighter. And it's and, and, and so many people want to make the Batman comparison. But like that is like, yes, cereal is just like sushi because they're both food like there are <laughs> there are baseline similarities okay but like that is like that is it's not even a thing so so yeah it's great the the mythos of Khonshu as like this anti-hero deity he's like is he good is he bad is he somewhere in between is fascinating so as i said the first six issues are by ellis and shelby um and then shelby does a couple more issues with brian wood taking over Greg Smallwood um, does some some art as well. Um, Cullen Bunn does the last four issues as far as writing, and then um, a couple. Uh, German Peralta does uh, the art on some of those. Ron Atkins as well. But like the tone, which is crazy when you in such a like a short run, it's only seventeen issues. It's very tight. It's very compact. It knows what it is. 
it is one of those like like series of, of, of a television series that has a clear, concise story that it wants to tell. It's a very easy jumping on point. It has the same basic intro. Um, um, it's it's. I mean, it was featured in the Marvel Now, which was like the the intent was to make it an easy jumping on point for new readers. It was a very clear, concise, neat story that's easy to jump in on. And the art, overwhelmingly, all due respect to the writers, um, but the art does all the storytelling here. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And I cannot recommend this enough. And I'm excited to, to start up now with the 2016 Jeff Lemire series and then go on to the Jed McKay series, which I've heard rave reviews about as well. And Moon Knight is quickly ascending as one of my favorite characters in, in Marvel comics. I'm assuming this uh, stuff is on Marvel unlimited. Yes. All 17 issues. I read it in like Uh, two days. Baby, I am here for this. I've been hankering for some Moon Knight. I haven't watched a show yet. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to watch TV, but I do sneak in some daily comic book reading. And so I might familiarize myself with this particular series, Chris. This this sounds really up my alley. Speaking of up each other's alleys and another street level hero that we both love. What's your nerd commendation? Yeah, so let's talk about Spidey for a second because, uh, you know, oh, it's just the most famous character in the world. What not you know, put a possibly nerd comment here. Well, I have been doing the great J. Michael Straczynski reread. I've decided to go back and read the man's entire run on um, Spider-Man. And it's been quite a ride. I will admit that I have uh, read since past in the... Um, past and so i had absolutely no need to read it again so i skipped that one but you know when you're looking at j michael straczynski's run which by the way is fascinating and really really good in so many places there are really three places where fans are unhappy uh, the first place is since past uh, for what it did to gwen stacy uh, the second place is the ending of the run one more day for what it did to spider-man's marriage And sitting squarely in between that as a fairly controversial story, but one that I don't think gets enough due, you have Spider-Man The Other, which was a crossover uh, written by Peter David, Reginald Hudlin, and J. Michael Straczynski, and featured art from Mike Waringo, Pat Lee, and Mike Deodato Jr. And this sucker is actually really, really good. And I'm not quite sure... Besides, you know, one really stupid thing. I'm not quite sure what the issue is here. One of the uh, great through lines of the Straczynski run has been always that, you know, he takes a little bit of a mythic approach to Spider-Man's powers uh, and kind of tries to, you know, do the whole spider totem thing and what, you know, the the supernatural elements of the powers could be, which is all a very interesting and different kind of take on Spider-Man. And in the other, we have this moment where uh, Spider-Man basically finds out that there's something happening in his body. He's dying. Uh, He has a final confrontation with Morlin, who's kind of there to try to eat him, um, and then dies, sheds his skin, and is reborn. Um, And the whole story is very, very simple. I mean, you're kind of at the point where you know know, Spider-Man's not dead pretty much immediately. They don't play coy or anything like they did with, you know, the death of Superman or anything. It's much more interesting, though, um, because, A, it does a fantastic job with the characters. Aunt May and Mary Jane, their reactions to, you know, Peter being 
possibly did. You know, their re reunion, the character beats are all really spot on. How would Peter react if he thought he might be dying? All of those beats are perfect. And then for how it leaves us with potential that, you know, knowing because I've read this run before, that never really gets realized. Um, and that is what else can Spider-Man do if he really embraces the spider part in Spider-Man? And there's, you know, a really cool scene where he, you know, he webs up the walls and the floors so he can feel, you know, vibrations, you know, that sort of stuff I think is absolutely cool and so vital to do with a character that's been around as long as Spider-Man. How else can you explore his powers or who he is? And I wish that they would have leaned more into that after the other. The only thing that we really seem to get out of that that is the occasional wrist stinger thing, which is probably the stupidest thing to come out of the other, and thankfully has been long since abandoned. But, you know, like the, the philosophical, like how much am I spider? How much am I man? You know, what else can my powers do that I never was willing to consider before because it might be weird or creepy? That stuff, that stuff is awesome. So between, you know, exploring Spider-Man in a different way and between the character interactions that we get, which are so, so interesting and so well written, I think the other needs to get a little bit more respect, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember if I've read this all the way through or not. It's, it's suffice to say that I need to, to revisit it because I love that stuff too. I love the spider totem stuff. It's also why I love the Immortal Hulk so much. It's like, how do you take a character that's been done so many different ways, so many different times and how do you make something new and refreshing and what al ewing did with with, with bruce banner was absolutely fascinating incredible yes and and you know it's so it's not very dissimilar to what we saw here so i love moreland i love that whole idea of the inheritors and like the whole totem thing ezekiel i love all of that i i, I love it now the execution on the spider-verse storytelling wise in the comics has been hit or miss, but like the premise of it has been fascinating. So I'm definitely revisiting this one and it further reinforces for me why I half the time when it comes to Spider-Man, I prefer the B books because you get better storytelling as far as characters and the supporting characters and the supporting cast. That's why I love uh, my nerd commendation from a few weeks ago of Sensational Spider-Man. That's why I love Spectacular Spider-Man by Paul Jenkins and so many others. Like, I love that stuff because I'm a character-driven reader. And so those interpersonal relationships thrive in those books. And so I'm definitely revisiting this one soon and very soon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think... To me, uh, Straczynski's run, despite the fact that it sunk to a couple of pretty low lows, <laughs> um, it's really kind of a high point for Peter Parker's character because he finally gets to move forward a little bit. You know, he takes that teaching job as a science teacher and he does some growing up. He gets involved, you know, with trying to help his students outside of the classroom. There are, you know, there's forward momentum. Even Aunt May gets some forward momentum having a relationship with Jarvis. I mean, there's just movement here. It feels like progression. Um, and I absolutely love this run for that. And I think the other fits squarely into the whole vibe that Straczynski was going for here. It's just really good stuff. I think we have to have a realignment too and stop blaming writers for something that is clearly an editorial mandate. Like let's 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 call it what it is and and, and call out the root source of these problems that so many Spider-Man. 
Yeah, so many and and <laughs> and you know, like so and a lot has been made of, you know, the recent um take the, the the new creative run the first issue by zeb wells and everything that has to do with that but like let's call it what it is like we continue to have these problems but if you look at the root source of that it's editorial it's not the writers themselves now the writers don't do themselves any favors when they do some silly storyline stuff you know uh we've been critical of writers in the past but as far as like the status quo and resetting to zero for peter parker storytelling wise that's editorial stuff so that's not writer so i don't put the burden on straczynski for that and i think that's probably a fair assessment because if you look at some of the interviews and some of the comments that have been made about the two worst stories from his run which are since past and of course one more day obviously casada basically took over writing one more day personally um because he had a very specific agenda for what he wanted to happen, and Straczynski wasn't super happy with that. Um, although he agreed with some of the general premise of, you know, um, the sort of a reset on, on Peter. Um, but then since past, if I remember the interviews I read correctly, like the original plan was that these, these kids that would show up, these young people showing up, would actually be Peter and Gwen's kids and that is much more of an interesting development so the 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 worst thing to come out of that whole storyline which is the image of gwen stacy having sex with norman osborne would have never happened under the original plan that that straczynski was going for but editorial didn't want peter parker to appear quote-unquote old because he had these kids um which is a shame because I think there was some really interesting fertile ground to to mine about Peter Parker and responsibility and all that when it comes to these kids that he didn't know. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. What, what I will say is I highly nerd commend Spider-Man The Other. It has some really fantastic moments and it really holds up. And, and just one final note, say what you want about the Spencer run and we definitely have our critiques and criticisms of it, but at least he undid that crap. As clumsily as it was, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll I'll take it. Even though that panel of of Norman Osborn's old face is going to be forever burned into my into my retinas. As they said, there's a show um, that Nick Kroll did about fantasy football. He called it the Vinegar Strokes. <laughs> That's awful. All forever right, unclean. Forever unclean. Yes. Well, there you have it. Uh, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. If you like what you just heard, please get on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a rating and or review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, we premiere new episodes every Tuesday and we are available on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts. You can even find us on our very own spiffy website, nerdbyword.com. And be sure to hit us up on social media at nerdbyword on Twitter and Instagram or that nerd Chris and that nerd Dave individually. And thanks again to Ray Garza and Mark Bernal. Be sure to support those good folks over at Lesser Known Comics. Support the Kickstarter if you can because those are some good books. Stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.